Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Heart Matters. All right, and so before the holidays, I don't know if you remember, but I shared a really important message with you guys on the Holy Spirit from Acts 19, verses one through seven. So in a little while, I'm gonna get to verse eight, but I really felt the Lord prompt my heart to revisit by way of introduction that message. And so if you remember, Paul, on his third missionary journey, he decided to go back to Ephesus. And when he got to Ephesus, he met some disciples, not disciples of Jesus. He met disciples of John the Baptist. And Paul sensed that there's something spiritually off with these 12 or so guys. And so you remember the story. Um, Paul led them to faith in Christ and then they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I went on in the second half of that message and I talked about uh, most of the things that the Holy Spirit still does for us today, things that are vital for us to understand. And so we saw that the Holy Spirit convicts the world, he's doing it right now, convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We saw that the Spirit of God, one of his ministries is to point people to Jesus. We saw that the Holy Spirit gives believers a new spiritual birth. And not only that, he indwells us, he baptizes us into the universal Big C Church, he seals us until the day of redemption, he assures us of our salvation, he gives gifts to us, he guides us into all truth, he produces fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in and through us, and if that's not enough, the Holy Spirit right now is praying for you. And all of that is free of charge. How you guys are grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that God has given us under the new covenant. We have the Holy Spirit as a permanent indwelling presence in our hearts. And so one of the most significant things the Holy Spirit does for us is that, at least for those who are surrendered to the authority of Christ, is he fills us to overflowing. And by the way, if you're new to the Bible, the indwelling of the Spirit is different than the filling of the Spirit. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit the moment you turn to Christ in repentance and faith, but the filling of the Spirit is supposed to happen for the rest of your life. Paul, I'll prove my case, writing to Christians in Ephesus says, and I quote, don't get drunk with wine which leads to wild living, listen to this, but keep on being filled with the Spirit. Keep Christian, indwelt Christian. You're indwelt by the Spirit. Yes, great. Now keep on being filled with the Spirit. And so um, you remember I've talked about this before. The word filled in Ephesians uh, 5.18 is a metaphor for being under the influence of. The idea is don't be under the influence of alcohol, which leads to a loss of control. Maybe I'm preaching to somebody from just this past Tuesday night, just saying as the ball's dropping, or maybe you don't remember it. <laughs> but don't be under the influence of alcohol, which leads to a loss of control, but be filled with the Spirit, which by the way leads to self-control. Right, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and you guys tell me the ninth one, Self-control, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. 
And so I'm just wondering, can we be real this morning? Thank you. One person wants to be real. <laughs> can we be real this morning? Yeah. Can we drop our defensive walls and just be honest with the Lord, right? All right, some of you may look back on 2019 with a certain measure of disappointment because you look back at 2019 and there's things that you did, certain things that you did that you're not proud of. Maybe it's alcohol related, maybe it's not, I don't know, it's between you and the Lord. But I just wanna ask you a question, I want you to do a little bit of spiritual inventory in your life. Could it be that you did those things because of a lack of spiritual power in your life? Because the power of sin was greater than your power to resist that sin. Hey, if it's true, I'm not here to condemn you. And by the way, God's not here to condemn you. I'm here to give you good news. And the good news is that 2020 can become so much better for you and I. Right? This is the first week of a brand new year. And so the good news is that 2020 can actually be a year of victory over sin. If, and it's a big if, if we choose to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and ask him to fill us to overflowing with his spirit. And so this first week of a brand new year, here's what I wanna encourage you to do. If you're taking notes, you wanna fill in the blank, engage with the message, but here it is. With a surrendered heart in 2020, ask the Lord every day for his fullness and his power. What is there, 361 days left in this year? So 361 times every single day this year, ask him from a place of surrendered heart to fill you to fullness with his spirit, with his power, with his wisdom, with his love. And so what does that mean? That means every day yield to the authority of Jesus Christ and just ask him for his power. If you'll do that, ladies and gentlemen, he will answer that prayer. And he'll give you a fullness, he'll give you a power, he'll give you a supernatural power and a supernatural capacity to overcome sin in your life. Not to be perfect, but to actually have victory in 2020 over whatever sin it is that you deal with. So here's the question for 2020. The question is this, do you wanna be frustrated by sin another year, really? Or do you wanna have victory over sin, right? Frustration or victory. It's similar uh, to the difference between using a handsaw or a chainsaw to cut down a big tree. Right? If you got a big old ugly tree in your backyard and you're tired of it and you wanna get rid of it, you can go in your garage, you can get the little handsaw, right? You can go out there and start working on it if you want, but that's gonna lead to a lot of frustration in your life as you're like, ah, 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 try and try and you got pains in your arm, you're sweating and you're panting, right? And then the blade breaks or whatever. You can do that if you want. But here's, here's an idea, why don't you just go on to Home Depot and buy a chainsaw, rev that thing up, and knock that thing down in five seconds and you're yelling, timber, right? Would that be easier? Well, guess what? If you have a big, old, ugly sin in your life, and you're tired of that sin in your life, 
You can try to overcome that sin in your own strength and sheer willpower if you want, but it's gonna lead to so much frustration in your life. Here's an idea. Why don't you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit of God because the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you if you'll just tap into that power. But you gotta yield to Christ and you gotta ask him to fill you to overflowing with his spirit and you'll be yelling timber to that ugly old sin. It won't be perfection. None of us are gonna get perfect in this side of the grave. But you can have victory. Frustration, victory. I know your heart. You want victory. Well, here's what you need to do. You need to turn to Christ because the weapons of our warfare, ladies and gentlemen, are have divine power for, to destroy strongholds as we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. That's 1 Corinthians 10, that's another message. But today we're starting in verse eight. So Paul's in Ephesus, he leads these guys to Christ, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then in verse eight it says that he entered the what? The synagogue, okay? So right now if you're looking at a Bible, either electronically or on paper, and you're looking at Acts 19.8. Just say amen. amen. So, so for you visitors, I hope you keep coming back, but if you do, man, bring your Bible and, and follow along. So it says that he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke timidly. Is that what it says? Or spoke sheepishly or didn't want to step on any toes, didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Is that, is, was that Paul? No, no, no. For three months... He spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them. By the way, teaching and preaching shouldn't just be aimed at the heart, it should be also aimed at the head. There is reasoning, there is persuading. So reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So Paul taught in the synagogue of Ephesus for three months, he reasoned with the Jews, he loved the Jews, he was a Jew, he wanted to win the Jews to Jesus as Messiah. He reasons with them, for three months about the kingdom of God. But, as in every crowd, some believe, some didn't believe. Check out what happened with the unbelievers, now in verse nine. It said, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of, what's the next two words there? The way, I hope that sounds familiar to you, but the way is synonymous with Christianity. Right, Christianity, based on the person of Christ and the teachings of Christ, Christianity was called in some cities in the first century, just the way. Based on John 14, six, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And so these guys who are stubborn, continuing in unbelief, they stand up in the synagogue and they start speaking evil of Christianity, evil of the way. And it says, what was Paul's response? End of verse nine, he withdrew from them and took the disciples, those who wanted to learn, with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And so Paul preaches week after week, month after month, Sadly, some choose, and it is a choice, some choose to harden their hearts against Paul 
and against his message. And that leads you to your next point if you're taking notes, and that's this. When faced with truth, people can either open their hearts and accept it or harden their hearts and reject it. You say, Pastor, that's so basic, that's so simple, I know. But the point I wanna drive home with you is that it's a choice. Whether or not you're gonna open your heart to the Lord or whether or not you're gonna harden your heart to the Lord is absolutely a choice. And so if these men in the synagogue in verse nine, if they continued, I hope not, right? But if they continue to be stubborn, if they continue to harden their heart until the day they die, the scripture teaches that the moment they close their eyes on earth is the moment they open their eyes in hell. You say, where's that at? It's all over the New Testament, but Luke 16, the rich man died, Jesus said, and by the way, Jesus knows about this stuff. The rich man died and in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torment, so hell's a real place. So if these guys, I hope not, but if they harden their hearts until the day they die against Christ, they perished. I have a question for you, is that God's fault? No. Is it God's fault that anybody's in hell today? No. But somebody says, well, the Lord didn't want them, and that's why they perished. No, I'm sorry, I'll never buy into that. It's not that the Lord did not want them, it's that they did not want the Lord. and That's why they perished. Here's the truth I want to resonate from this local church, Calvary Poor St. Lucie. The truth that I want to resonate from this church is that God loves everybody and wants everybody to be saved. And that's based on the Bible. Second Corinthians, uh, Second Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Can you say the word everyone? everyone? Okay, so God doesn't stutter. He wants everybody to be saved. He wants everybody to turn to Christ in repentance and faith. And we see this as the Holy Spirit of God convicts people of sin and righteousness and judgment and points sinners to a savior. As he does that, whether or not they believe in Christ is not dependent upon whether or not God wants them. God wants them. Whether or not they believe is dependent on whether or not they want the Lord. It depends on the receptivity of their hearts. It's sort of like the difference between wax and clay. You can put a lump of wax out in the sunlight next to a lump of clay, and that same sunlight will melt the wax while hardening the clay. In the same way, you can have two people who are exposed to the same glorious light of the gospel of Jesus and that same glorious light of the gospel of Jesus can melt one guy's heart while hardening the other guy's heart. Why, because there's something wrong with the gospel? No, because there's something wrong with the prideful heart who hears about everything Jesus has done for them and still rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem's not with God. The problem is with prideful man. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what you need to know. Choices are real, and choices matter. I love 
C.S. Lewis, I Love Mere Christianity. If you've never read it, put it on your list this year to read it. But I give you this quote at least once every year or two. But this is from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, and he talks about the importance of choices. He says, every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your whole life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. Ladies and gentlemen, choices matter. And the best choice you could ever make in your life is submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. <laughs> because then the Holy Spirit will come inside of you and then he'll give you power to help you make right choices for the rest of your life as a born again Christian. Amen. That's the need. But as Paul's preaching in the synagogue, there's people hardening their hearts. There's people out there sitting, they're, they're do, everybody look at me, they're doing this, looking at Paul. By the way, when I'm preaching, sometimes I look out at some of you and, and you're doing this at me. <laughs> and I just keep telling myself as I'm preaching, they're not mad at you, they're just thinking really deeply. So I, I, I don't get distracted, but some of you guys look like you wanna kill me, just, just so you know. So can we all just right now just, just smile? Can we just smile? Wow, some of you still don't wanna smile. All right, we'll just keep going then. Look at verse nine. What was Paul's response to the unbelievers? Look at verse nine. Halfway down, after they continued in their unbelief, speaking evil of Christianity, it says he withdrew. Can you say the word withdrew? withdrew. He withdrew from them and took the disciples. Took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And so Paul withdrew from those who persisted in their unbelief and he took or went toward the disciples, those who wanted to follow Jesus. In other words, he stopped spending time with those who rejected his ministry, and he started spending time with those who desired his ministry. That leads us to our next point. If you wanna fill this blank in, when someone rejects your ministry, move on. <laughs> move on. Life's too short. Move on, in other words, run with the runners. Before my wife and I uh, came to start this church in Port St. Lucie, I was the care pastor for about four years at uh, Calvary in Jupiter. Loved my time there, um, and I love what I did. Care pastor, uh, it's my heart, 
Um, I did a lot of hospital visitation. That's part of a care pastor's responsibility to either do the hospital visits yourself or make sure an elder or you know, a leader in the church is doing those hospital visits. And I loved hospital visits most of the time. Some of the times, just to be honest, I didn't enjoy it. And I didn't enjoy it whenever I got there and it was very obvious that the, either the patient or the family members didn't want my ministry. I'm not talking about the members of Calvary Jupiter. I'm talking about some of the friends or family members of the members in Calvary Jupiter who wanted a visit. And we do that. We do that in this church. You need a hospital visit for a friend or family member? Call us. We'll, we'll, we'll send somebody to be there. And so whenever I would get there, sometimes, the vast majority of time, awesome. And by the way, if, you, if you've never done a hospital visit, I encourage you to step out and do that in 2020. Because here's what I know, when you leave that hospital, you're gonna be going to your car to the parking lot, through the parking lot to your car, and you, you may be whistling, you maybe may a little skip in your step. Why? Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. The word blessed means happy. So if you wanna get happy, go see someone in the hospital. And by the way, when you take time to spend time with people, you let them know how much worth they have in the eyes of God, because you're spending time with them. And so, um, but, but sometimes that wasn't my experience. I'd go and they didn't want my ministry. I remember one guy, um, he made it very clear. I went to the hospital to see him down south and he was there and he was like, Sunday is my day. I work hard all week. And so, you know, golf course, boat or whatever, that's Sunday for me. In other words, you know, pastor, I'm never coming to your church. I just wanna pray for the guy, you know, but he didn't want my ministry. I remember one lady, I went to go see her, and uh, you know, she definitely was lost, not open, and she believed in this bizarre kind of reincarnation, and she's trying to tell me that her loved one who died is now an animal, and I'm trying to minister to her and the group with her, and it was very obvious, the vibe I clearly got was, Pastor, we don't want you here. And it, it, it was discouraging. And I remember I went back to my senior pastor, Dan Plord, who's still the pastor down there. And um, I shared my discouragement with him. And he, he, he shared something with me that I'll never forget. He said, Mike, if people reject your ministry, just move on. And that was freeing for me, and I did. In other words, I stopped spending time with those who rejected my ministry and I started spending time with those who desired it. In other words, run with the runners. Run with people that wanna run with you as you run after Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's, it's, it's not just pastors. Because how many of you guys know that we're all ministers, right? Every member should be a minister. The pastors equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so as you're ministering to people, just know that some people are gonna accept it, some people are gonna reject it. Some people are gonna wanna hear what you have to say. Other people, they're gonna be like, no thank you, right? And so here's what I wanna bring out of this text. In verse nine, if those people become stubborn and those people continue in their unbelief, listen, don't keep pushing ministry on them. Some of you guys really gotta stop this. You gotta stop pushing ministry on people who don't want it. You're not doing any good. Jesus did not push ministry on people who didn't want it. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 14, and I quote, he said to his disciples, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet. 
Paul, in verse nine, what does he do? He withdrew from those who rejected him and his ministry. And so my encouragement to you this afternoon is, man, if they're stubborn and continuing in unbelief, just move on. But keep praying for them, keep loving them, and when you're around them, keep living for the Lord in front of them. And did you know that you can win some people without a word? First Peter 3, 1, I was reminded of that last night. Because one person asked me, well, my husband's not a believer, so should I withdraw from my husband? Here's the answer, no. <laughs> Stay with your husband. Stay with your wife. But here's what I wanna encourage you wives about. First Peter 3, 1 says, hey, you don't have to say a word. You can win them without a word. So pray for them, love them, and when you're around them, live for Jesus in front of them. And so now we go to the end of verse nine. I think this is really, really important that Paul withdrew from them and he took the disciples, right? So he withdrew and then he ran with the runners, the disciples, those who wanted to follow Jesus with him. But look at the end of verse nine. Reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And so everybody look at me please. The door of the synagogue in Ephesus, boom, closed. But Paul didn't let that discourage him. He just went down the street and he rented the hall of Tyrannus. Tyrannus, they believe, is probably a Greek philosopher. They named his lecture hall in Ephesus after. And so, closed door, that's okay because God opened another door. And he walked through that door and he taught there for two wonderful years. And the people who desired his ministry came and they listened to him as he taught the word of God. And then they took the word of God and went out and teach others. And I'm gonna talk more about that next week, but here's my point for this morning or this afternoon. If you're taking notes, here's your next point, your next fill-in. If God closes one door, he'll always open another. Can you see it? Door of the synagogue, boom, closed. Door of the hall of Tyrannus, now opened. And so about 16 years ago, my wife and I knew we were called to come up here and start the church, and so we started planning with our three daughters and thinking about it, and I started coming up here looking for a building to rent to start the church in. And some of you have heard this story. Um, some of you may have actually um, been around in the, in the early days, but here, here's what happened, man, Everybody was saying no in poor St. Lucie. The doors just kept closing. And I would go, you know, schools, um, in, anywhere there's a facility that's not being used on Sunday, you know, we're there knocking on the door, talking to landlords. The bad news is that many said no to the idea of starting a church in their facility. The good news is that if God closes one door, he always opens another. And sure enough, I got a phone call, little Christian school at the time in St. Lucie West. Sure, you can rent our facility. And all of a sudden, the Hall of Tyrannus, so to speak, the door opened up. And we were able to start the church in that little facility for two and a half years. We all, those of us who are still around from, the, from that time, we look back at that facility and we affectionately call it the phone booth because we literally, God sent 100 people like within three months, and so we were literally cramming all these people into this little space. And we continued to grow, and then the Lord 
He's faithful. He opened another door to a 400-seat auditorium also in St. Lucie West. And then as we continued to grow, the Lord's faithful. He opened another door at Treasure Coast High School. And so for a time, we were one church in two locations. And so for a time, I'd preach in St. Lucie West and I'd drive down to Treasure Coast High School and preach there. And then as we continued to grow, the Lord opened another door and this beautiful piece of property and these two buildings came open and we were able to purchase this property in 2014. Then a year later in 2015, the door opened for this land across the street. I mean, anybody could have got that land for a number of years. God had it for us. And we purchased that land. And then as most of you know, in last year, we closed on our construction loan. And as we're all standing here watching that building go up across the street, here's what we're doing. We're looking forward to the first day of school in August, and we're giving God all the glory for all the open doors in the last 15 and a half years. That's what God does. And here's what I know. God's gonna keep opening doors for this local church. Because how many of you believe that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ? That's our God. And so the future is so bright, but what my encouragement is that maybe you're here today and you're discouraged about a closed door in your life. Can I just encourage you? Paul was not discouraged when the door closed at the synagogue. He's the eternal optimist. He's like, well, I'm gonna go find another open door. And God opened the door at the Hall of Tyrannus where he lectured for two years and taught the word of God two wonderful years. God's got an open door for you. Just keep looking at, looking to him in faith and asking him to know what door to walk through. Ladies and gentlemen, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. That's what we need to do. Keep our eyes on the Lord and if he's called you and he's opened a door, pardon the bad English, ain't nobody gonna shut that door. God opens it, it's open. All right, so now look at verse 11. Some strange stuff's gonna happen in the Bible now. It says that and God was doing not just miracles, but extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin, you remember he was a tent maker, and so he would, on the side to make money, um, his, he would sweat with these handkerchiefs and stuff, and so it says that in verse 12, that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. And so here we see not just miracles, but unusual, extraordinary miracles, as it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, and I'll say that again, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, we see the signs of a true apostle here. I don't want you to misunderstand. It's not that there was any power in Paul. It's not that there was any power, any power in his handkerchiefs or his apron. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. And so what was Jesus doing? Jesus was confirming Paul's apostleship and Jesus was confirming Paul's apostolic message, which by the way, we've got it right here in the New Testament. Christ was confirming 
the gospel through miracles and signs and wonders. So I also want to share with you, I hope you understand that Paul never told anybody in our text, if you're with me, say amen here. He never told anybody in our text to make a contribution to my ministry and then I'll send you an anointed handkerchief. Do you see that? It's not there. So be really careful. Use discernment because there are some guys on TV who would love to exploit us. We don't even know if Paul knew they were taking his handkerchiefs and aprons to people. We don't even know it. So, you know, anyway, I better stop. All right, verse 13, wow. Woo, I'll get the flesh quick. All right, Lord, please fill me with your spirit. Verse 13, all right. So then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. So Jewish exorcists, and they decide, hey, let's use this, this Jesus name over people who have evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. And so Ephesus, as I told you a few weeks ago, was a center of the occult, and there's people who are demon-possessed, I mean, legitimately demon-possessed here in this city. And so in, a, in a, an attempt to do something about that problem and maybe make some cash on the side, I don't know, some Jewish exorcists decided, hey, let's use the name of Jesus to cast out demons. And so apparently they thought the name of Jesus was some kind of magic formula that they could use to set demon-possessed people free. But there's two problems. Number one, these seven men did not have a relationship with Jesus. And number two, you can't use the name of Jesus as some kind of magic formula to get whatever you want. God is not a cosmic vending machine where we put in the quarter in Jesus' name and out comes the Coke, right? That's not God. But this is what these guys are trying to do. They're trying to Use the name. And so I want you to picture this in your mind. Seven guys go to this demon-possessed guy, and they're like, I adjure you in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. The, the idea there is we don't preach Jesus, but, but, but the Jesus that Paul preaches, come out, or whatever. And it's not gonna end very well for these guys. Look at verse 15. But the evil spirit answered them, that would freak me out. <laughs> Jesus I know, and Paul I recognized, but who are you? <laughs> and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them. Can you, can you see this? One against seven. Leaped on all seven of them. Mastered all of them and overpowered them. In the original Greek, he just beat the snot out of these guys so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. He didn't just beat them up. He stripped off their clothes. <laughs> Crazy, huh? But there's three things real quick I wanna pull out of this passage. Three things that this passage teaches us. And number one, 
it teaches us that the enemy is more powerful than human beings. So we shouldn't have a cocky attitude when it comes to the devil or his realm. Have you guys ever seen the bumper sticker? Heaven doesn't want me and hell can't handle me. I remember seeing that bumper sticker. Heaven doesn't want me and hell can't handle me. And I remember thinking, whatever. <laughs> you have no idea. You, I mean, because some people, you know, they're all big and bad and they think they can take on the devil. Be careful. Be careful. We're no match. Let me tell you something. Michael the archangel, when disputing for the body of Moses against Lucifer, stepped back and said, the Lord rebuke you. And so if Michael, the big awesome angel Michael said that, I'm not going toe to toe with him. One evil spirit, seven men, this guy wins the fight. And so in and of ourselves, we're no match for the enemy. Let me just throw this in real quick. I hear sometimes people when they're praying, they get all excited in their prayers and they start talking to the devil and rebuking the devil and you know, um, telling the devil what a liar he is and everything. Can I encourage you not to do that? Just leave it to the Lord. Let the Lord handle that. You don't, just talk to the Lord. Talk to Jesus. You don't need to be talking to the devil. But the second thing this passage teaches us is that we gotta have a relationship with Jesus in order to be victorious over our spiritual foe. You gotta have a relationship with Jesus, not a religion. You gotta have a relationship with Jesus. So see, the bad news is that these seven men did not have a relationship with Jesus, and that's why they were defeated. The good news is that if we genuinely turn to Christ in repentance and faith, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, and we're sealed into the day of redemption. And here's what you need to know. The glorious good news is that 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's the good news. And let me just throw this in. There's some bad teaching in the church that true born-again Christians can be possessed by the devil. It's not true. The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal, and sovereign God lives inside of born-again Christians. There's no demon that's ever gonna come in there. He's the Holy Spirit. But there's some people who will say, well, well, here's what you need to know, I've been told this, here's what you need to know, Pastor, that our souls are kind of like in layers, and the Holy Spirit's in the middle, and, and, and but the outer layers, demons can get in there. Well, now you're just making stuff up. <laughs> just stick with the Bible. You cannot be possessed by a demon if you know Jesus. The third thing I pull out of this passage is that the enemy wants to tear our lives apart like he tore these guys apart. And so Peter wrote to the Christian community and he said this. So this is what God wants to say to you right now. Christian community, are you, are, are you with me? Yes. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. And so born-again Christians cannot be possessed, but they can certainly be oppressed. So we gotta be alert. We gotta be sober. We gotta be vigilant. 
And how do you resist the enemy? He, he told us, resist him steadfast in the faith. You gotta be steadfast in the faith. In other words, stick close to your big brother, Jesus. Because here's what I know, that when Jesus is around, demons flee. Right, so stay, stay close to Jesus. Stay close to the Lord. And here, here's what I know, oppression will come, darkness will come. Sometimes it comes in the middle of the night. And there's doubts and there's anxiety and there's fear. Cry out to Jesus and let the demons flee. Well, last three verses, but I wanna encourage you to stay with me to the end. There's a revival happening in Ephesus now and it says that also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. And I love this. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And so because Ephesus was a center for the occult, it was filled with all this literature about the occult, books about witchcraft and and that kind of stuff. And so what happened was many of these books on the occult were purchased by many people in Ephesus. But then Paul comes to town, he starts teaching the word of God, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, people start getting saved, Holy Spirit comes in, now they're under conviction about the books at home. So what do they do? They make a big bonfire and they throw their books. And if you have a Ryrie study Bible, you notice in the notes, the value of the books was possibly 138 years of pay for the common laborer. That's a lot of money. Somebody says, well, why, didn't, why didn't they just sell them on eBay? Make some money. Well, why in the world would you wanna give evil stuff to other people? Just, just get rid of it. And so why did they take such drastic measures? Here's why. Because Christ got a hold of their hearts. And that leads you to your last fill-in. The people of Ephesus were captivated by empty pursuits but when Christ got a hold of their hearts, everything changed. Everything changed. Here's what I know. If you let Christ get a hold of your heart, your life's gonna change. It starts in here and works its way out. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man or woman be in Christ, they're a new creation, old things passing away, behold all things are becoming new. And it's such a, I tell you, as a pastor, it's such a temptation, you know, because they're throwing the books in the fire. They're getting rid of the junk. There's such a temptation for me to give you a big long list of things that you should get rid of. There's such a temptation for me, you know, to give you all these do's and don'ts, all the things you should be looking at and all the things you shouldn't be looking at, all the things you should be listening to, all the things you shouldn't be listening to, all the things you should be doing, all the things you shouldn't be doing. But, but here's, what, here's the conclusion I came to this week. I don't wanna do that. I just wanna point you to Christ. Because if Christ gets a hold of your heart, 
Everything else takes care of itself. It's a heart matter. These are matters of the heart that we're talking about. I don't wanna deal with the fruit right now. I wanna deal with the root. And the root is a heart matter. And all that other stuff, it's just between you and the Lord. And so because it's a heart matter, I leave you with this final quote by St. Augustine, or Augustine, if you wanna pronounce his name that way. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So the question I have is, do you have a restless heart? Are you yearning, are you looking, are you striving? You don't have to yearn, you don't have to look, you don't have to strive. You just need Jesus. Here's what I know. That when, you, when you turn from your sins, the best way you know how, because here's what I don't want anyone to ever accuse me of. I never, never, never preach, you gotta clean up your act so God will accept you. No, that's not the gospel. But there needs to be a, hey, I'm, I'm done with this and I'm looking at Jesus now and he's up on that cross. And not by any merit of my own, but completely 100% by the merit of Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven. Amen. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That I deserve death, I deserve punishment, but guess what? Jesus took the punishment. He died in my place. Rose again the third day, and I look to him. And when you look, you live. You don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to work really hard. You don't have to merit it. Look and live.